Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. What if blind Bartimaeus did not have his sight restored? Would he still have followed Jesus? What is the purpose of these miracle stories in a non-miraculous age? Or do we live in a non-miraculous age? Well, blind Bartimaeus did have his sight restored, so these are sort of rhetorical questions, and it is a miracle that I think we should not look past, you know, not take it for granted because we have heard it so many times. There are several features of this miracle, in fact, that are instructive. Bartimaeus, for example, was a known person. Right? He, he had been begging for years, maybe decades, and the people knew who he was. They, they knew what town he was from. It says in the text he was the son of Timaeus, right? So they, they knew who his parents were. He had annoyed them for many years begging. So he was a known commodity. And therefore, like many recipients of Jesus' miracles, Bartimaeus could not be said to be some kind of plant or actor, which is a technique used, of course, by modern magicians. There's also no doubt he was truly blind. Uh, Mark tells us that Bartimaeus became blind later in life. It's sort of embedded in the language. Bartimaeus says, my teacher, let me see again. And Mark says that Bartimaeus' sight was regained. And so there's no question that his sight was, was restored. Mark's telling of the story seems to be almost like an origin story. These are popular, I guess, these days, origin stories. An origin story of Bartimaeus. He was probably still alive, or could have been, while Mark was writing. Maybe he, he had become a fellow apostle or disciple. And uh, it was sort of like, well, where did this guy Bartimaeus come from? Why does he follow Jesus? So Mark includes the story of his conversion in his gospel. But certainly his faith and his sight were known realities. And remember that even Jesus' uh, enemies did not doubt the uh, miracles of Jesus. Indeed, recovery of sight to the blind was something that had never been seen before. Whatever the mechanism employed by Jesus, it must have absolutely stunned the audience. And that's why Jesus is accused of being a demon, because something as extraordinary as healing blindness and other ailments, these were assumed to be demonic attacks. And so maybe the only uh, being capable of restoring sight to the blind would have been an even more powerful uh, demon to elicit such an amazing cure. So the remarkable and heavily witnessed nature of this particular miracle, it should still ring true today. It should still be a sufficient miracle to demonstrate who Jesus was. After all, again, the enemies of Jesus did not doubt that the miracle took place. How could they, given the obvious change in a known person? So, why don't all believe? Why aren't stories like this sufficient to bring the world to Christ? Last week, I attended an event 
and an unbeliever was uh, in our group at dinner. Now, he knew that he was sort of the token unbeliever, and he was quite comfortable in that role. And so he was asked what might change his mind. He said, well, if I could see a modern-day miracle like the people of Jesus saw, say if someone could turn this glass of water on our dinner table into wine, maybe then I would believe. I told him that I was very doubtful of that claim. Uh, Magicians perform amazing feats all the time that leave us dumbfounded. And because there are people who can fool us so well, it leaves room for doubt if someone doesn't want to believe. The healing of Bartimaeus is remarkable. It amazed everyone who was there. Certainly amazed Bartimaeus. His response was to become a follower of Jesus. And it still should convince many today, but it doesn't. And not because the miracle is literally unbelievable, but rather because of the costs that come with that belief. It's relatively easy, I guess, to say that you believe something, but every belief, especially a deeply held belief about the existential nature of the universe, it's going to involve commitments. And belief in Jesus involves the commitment to follow him as we see Bartimaeus did. Such following will involve self-sacrifice. It will involve being in a relationship with a living God who, yes, indeed loves us and also judges humanity. It will involve cutting things out of your life. It will involve identifying various idols in your life that you need to let go, and we all have them. It will involve understanding and rejecting competing religious claims, which are far more numerous than we can imagine. They grow more subtle and incorporated into our daily lives every day. It's not just a person of another faith knocking on your door asking you to join their religion. Everything is religious because everything ultimately ties back to fundamental beliefs about the nature of the way that reality is, about the way that things are. And one such competing God, quote-unquote, that I'm particularly wary of is the ghost or the God in the machine. During a recent interview on NPR, the host, Brooke Gladstone, said the following... Belief in salvation was once the province of religion, but computer science has transferred faith to the God in the machine. Well, I guess that's it, guys. It's time to gather all the computers and smash them to bits. Uh, That's what the uh, word sabotage means, right? The sabot was the the French word for shoe, Right, and they threw them into the machinery to stop the progress because it was putting everyone out of work. So time to, time to sabotage. But her guest on this show was a former Calvinist who wrote a book about transhumanism and the evolution of technology. She's a former Calvinist, but she's now something of an agnostic philosopher. And she said, I think it's interesting that we for centuries have hypothesized this form of higher intelligence that we call God And now we're building a form of intelligence that it's possible will surpass us at some point 
in the near future. In other words, yeah, yeah, for so long we were just dumb humans and we thought there needed to be this super intelligent thing out there. So we just called it God. But now we're actually building something that's kind of like God. It's these really fancy computers. She says, there's a reason why these theological metaphors are emerging at the moment they are. In other words, we are building self-learning forms of intelligence that, with access to all of the information that we've ever accumulated, will soon make better pastors, friends, spouses, and even gods than the ones IRL. That's in real life, for those of you my age and above. Technology. It will not only deliver your groceries an hour after you place the order, assuming there's food on the shelves, but it will replace your spouse when you die. You think I'm crazy? That technology already exists. You can download any one of many chatbot apps on your phone or computer and start talking to an AI machine right now. And they will learn everything about you. They'll learn your preferences, the way that you talk, the cadence of your speech, your eccentricities. You can just upload your social media account to it, and then they'll know everywhere that you've been, what you like to eat for dinner, whatever it is you put on social media. They'll know all of that. And if you're nice enough to give your spouse the password, well, when you die, they can just continue to talk to you or an AI version of you. Who knows how many millions of people around the world right now have such chatbot friends or more. Siri is disabled on my phone, by the way. In fact, the guest on this radio show who understood and admitted these problems of technology and the way it's reshaping the world and reshaping the way we relate to one another, it's essentially going to replace God for many people, etc., etc. She exactly did this. She downloaded a chatbot app when her husband was away for work. It was during the pandemic. She was alone. She was bored. She's no longer a believer in God, has no church community. So she downloaded the app and started talking to a remarkably lifelike AI bot. And knowing that it was all a delusion, she participated anyway. Sad commentary. When we are not content with Jesus, there is no limit to what we will pursue. And the church is late to the game in talking about these kinds of dangers of technology. So beware of your Reliance upon it. Track your screen time. Read real books. Delete your social media, maybe. After all, the next step is, you know, for Facebook, it's becoming a metaverse, right? Not a social media company anymore. Now it's a metaverse, an immersive world in which you can involve yourself. Oh, that's going to go great, I'm sure. Beware of the next steps of technology. Avoid them. Even... Uh, if you just Google AI chatbot, I promise you, you'll be tempted to download it and start talking to a machine out of curiosity of nothing else. I did. I, that is, I was tempted. I didn't actually do it. Who wouldn't want a friend that you could diabolically uh, mold in your own image? But be warned that these enticing new technologies, they are narcissistic to the core and they have been designed to tell us what we want to hear, certainly not the truth. 
Jesus proposes the exact opposite. He calls on us to follow him as Bartimaeus did. He heals us of our blindness, of our sin, of our desire to follow false gods, even those created in the metaverse. He offers us a way to live hopeful lives, lives of real joy, not the fake and untouchable promises of technology. The Christian life is one where our best hope is not chatting with AI, but resurrection and real eternal life. Not in a server, but in the new heavens and the new earth. Our generation, like all who have come before it, have a particular blindness, an assumed way of life that God must destroy. For John Newton, who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, which we will sing in a moment, it was slavery, the slave trade in which he participated, that he knew was evil and he left behind and fought against. For us, it is the lure of impersonal, ungodly, and narcissistic technology. It might just be in that in just a few years, Christians will be known as those crazy people who avoid participation in things like virtual reality or alternate universes, etc. Maybe the Amish really were onto something. The path that Bartimaeus followed is much better. It's the path of reality. It's the path of healing. It's a path of a commitment to the true God of this world who happens to want what is best for you. So why don't all follow Christ? The evidence is there. The stories are there. Well, we're up against a tempter that has always promised a fake world of ease and pleasure. But here in the real world, Jesus would have us see his real life, his real death, his real resurrection, and follow him knowing all of that so that we could also see the real eternal life that he has won for us. Can we live for that? Can we hope for that? Amen.